it's one thing that I love about D and D and arriving at this hobby as late as I did. I'm glad that I did period because it gives me that chance to get that creative outlet going. My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I have Jandy, and we talk about lore and how much we know about the lore or don't know. We talk about perfectionism and not being super worried about running the perfect game. And there's some good conversations about asking your players questions, and doing some collaborative world building with them. And at the very end, we have something new. We did a lightning round where we came up with some random encounters based on some random roll tables. And you'll get to see some of that asking questions and kind of figuring things out on the fly in that section. If you're interested in helping out the show, don't forget to like, comment, and share the episodes. Contact me if you or a DM you know would like to be on the show. Use any of the affiliate links in the show notes. Or support me over on Patreon or buy me a coffee. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome everybody. Today I have Jandy with me. Welcome Jandy. Thank you so much for having me. I've been uh, putting this off and making up excuses to not do this. So I guess this is it. And now I have to do this. So here I am. That's right. I finally uh, pinned you to the wall and got you in on an interview. So, Jandy, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in tabletop role-playing games. So I'm a newbie, and I think that's probably why I uh, I didn't jump right away. Or, I, you know, it sounded fun, uh, but at the same time, I know initially I was thinking, well, what, what on earth could I share with anyone that, you know, I don't really have any experience? Uh, but I had heard about tabletop uh, role-playing games. Uh, I had seen other people do different varieties of those games, but it wasn't until the pandemic hit that uh, my brothers and I really tried to figure it out. And then I just started playing a couple games with my sons. Uh, so it's been just about two years that I've been playing. Uh, and I think the the real attraction for me was that in my household, I have teenagers uh, and they are a super ultra competitive. And I liked the idea that there's a game where we're all playing with the same goal. Uh, We all have the same thing in mind and we're not trying to necessarily destroy the other person at the table. That, that really sounded like uh, that sounded appealing to me. I don't know. I'm sure they get some of their competitive nature from me, but I don't know exactly why it became so competitive. So I'm trying to give them some other options than just uh, seek and destroy through the various games that they want to play. Yeah, that's really what brought me into it, and I've been I've been a player only in a two a couple games now, and I've been a DM. This is my fourth game that I've actually been running. So now it's uh, instead of them against each other, it's uh, them against you as the DM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but always in that kind of you know uh, collaborative mode. You know, I I even have a problem. I think that I could be a little bit more adversarial maybe as a DM and maybe I need to be. Uh, and it's not that I'm trying to pull punches, but I, I'm constantly pulling back and seeing which, you know, what's going to make this more fun for the player. What's going to make this more, you know, good for the game. And so sometimes I do feel like I, I still err on the cautious side instead of just kind of pushing in, you know, maybe, maybe when I'm thinking about what, what would this villain do? 
I have the villain run away when really the villain would have taken out the guy, the the player character. Maybe I need to play a little bit longer and so get a little bit more uh, grizzled before I can take that step. You just gotta start killing their characters constantly, so they just know that that's that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, it needs to happen. I think I, you know, it's kind of like uh, your uh, your rite of passage, right? I just need to. I just need to pull the bandaid off and let that happen. But uh, there's been some close calls. I've had a couple close calls, but no, uh, but but not yet. I mean, I've played primarily 5e, and in 5e, it's very hard to kill. Uh, you know, players just don't die. You know, I've I've had my own player in a in a campaign. I thought for sure there's no way uh, that player could or that character could make it through, and somehow, some way, you know, with a healing spell and and a couple death saves, you're you're back. You're back in the game. Um, I, I totally understand the pulling punches things because the first couple of games that I did, it was, yeah, you can get into a situation where it's like, oh, or you kind of get into the death spiral, right? Where things just keep getting worse for the players and then they have a harder time getting out of it. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of what would happen, but it's not really fun for anybody. So, yep. Yep. And, and you know, and, and it's not just always that I'm trying to, uh, I, I remember what, what I really got interested in when I was trying to figure this out is all the content creation. And I thought that was a good thing because it gave me, uh, a background a little bit, some background knowledge, like listening to Matt Colville, for example, listening to Matt Perkins, the, the Australian content creator, uh, watching a little bit of critical role, those kinds of things, but then it's information overload. And then you get to the point where, well, I want to pull in this from Old School Essentials, and I want to pull this in from Runehammer, and I want to, you know, I want to bring all of these ideas together. And pretty soon, it's not that you're pulling punches or anything else; it's just that your brain is trying to pull from too many sources at once. And that's one thing I, I'm trying to work towards now is just simplifying things in my own mind. What what I want the game to be. That's the goal. Yeah, I uh, I also consume a lot of of D and D content, and and it's easy to have ideas that are fleeting sometimes uh like oh this is a really good idea and then completely either forget about it or never pans out um mm-hmm. how would you say that uh even in your short time what changes have happened for you as a dm kind of in your style and how you run games uh, slowly but surely i am becoming less of a slave to the modules i think the modules are have been good for me because they've They've given me an idea of what a campaign should look like, what an individual encounter might need to look like, uh, or not not need to, but at least you know possibilities. Um, and but there's always this there's always this feeling for me that I'm somehow cheapening the game, like I'm not giving the players all of the lore they need, or I missed that description about that room. Or there was uh, something in the uh, NPC's backstory that I didn't give the players, and now somehow I've robbed them of that. And so I'm having to learn that, no, <laughs> forget that. That's all just extra texture that's written into the module. You can use it or you can lose it, and you can you can completely abandon it. You can just use it as an outline uh, and go with, you know, go with wherever the game goes. But I thought that I needed those training wheels right from the start. And I needed to really hold tight to those training wheels with the modules. Uh, And I'm learning and I'm trying to convince myself with every game, no, let the players take it where they will. I mean, the most fun that I've had, the best session that I've had was when uh, one of my player characters, her brother uh, 
her brother in the game, who is a you know an NPC that was off screen. We weren't paying attention to him at all, but somehow I decided that he had been captured and he died. He died in the game, and her reaction to that character death, to that NPC death, oh my god, it felt so real. It felt so. The other player characters had to hold her back because. They were still trying to interrogate the villain and they wanted to get more information, but they knew if they let her go, this villain was going to die right then and there. I mean, it was it was raw. It was exciting. It was surprising to see her react the way she did. Uh, and I didn't do any of that. You know, I mean, the only thing I did was, you know, put some random NPC that she created in her backstory into the game. And then I just got to see what would happen after that. And so that wasn't in the module. There was nothing that I prepped really for that. I just got to watch her and sit back and enjoy the game, you know, instead of trying to think that I have to create that for someone or I have to find read it in the module. And that was just all off screen that that happened. I'm guessing through dialogue from the villain that just kind of explained what happened. Yeah, she uh, she had come to the the place that you know they were investigating, and one of the prisoners turned out to be her brother. Uh, but the other prisoners, you know, let her know. And I forget why I had made the decision that he was already dead. Uh, but um, it just it just fit with, based on what she had said, he had gone, you know, uh, searching for something a couple years prior. Uh, so in this case, you know, it didn't make any sense for him to still be around. So he was gone. And she just, there's no way she could have been prepared for it. I think sometimes it's good to prepare players for that. Like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Uh, what do you think? And and kind of and I'm I'm learning to do that. But for this one, she just she just picked it up and ran with it, uh, and it was cool. It was it was it was not safe. Like I you know I wasn't sure where it was going to go, but that's what made it fun. That's what made it exciting. And we need I need more of that in my games and less of the uh, the constant. I don't want to say railroading because I know that term gets used too much, but just this. Uh, playing it safe and making sure, okay, here after this, we need to get to this part of the module, and then we, we need to make sure we talk to this NPC. No, just let the players let the players take it to a random place, uh, and it's going to be a lot more fun. Or so, fitting with my style, I should say. <laughs> and when you're running games, do you uh, are you still tending to stick uh, with mo- using modules? Yeah, I uh, like I said, I'm I'm slowly but surely doing that. In that that same group that I'm talking to you about, this uh, particular player, that one I'm I'm jumping off. I'm saying with them that we're just going to do the same world. Um, it's going to be the aftermath of their first campaign, uh, but really they're kind of leading, you know. And then so every session, I don't know where it's going. I have some big world ideas. Uh, for example, there's a couple factions that are kind of vying for power. And they're going to kind of petition the group or the party to work for them. Uh, and, you know, ultimately there's going to be consequences either way. And I, I kind of have that, that uh, working. But other than that, you know, where they end up going, where they, where they end up traveling, who they want to, you know, travel. It's all based on their backstory. It's all based on goals that their characters have. And I just have to do it session by session. I don't really know. We're in three sessions from now. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to be, and that's terrifying, but uh, but really exciting at the same time. It makes it makes the game much more fun for me because, um, well, fun and terrifying at the same time. I should say, you know, because you don't know where it's going. So as a DM, you're t- you're afraid that am I going to be able to 
react to their choices. But then so fun at the same time because they are getting to make choices and they do feel real and they do seem like, you know, they really have control over the game. And that's what I want to create. I just want to get better at it. <laughs> How do you go about prepping uh, basically your next session? Do the players, like at the end of a night of playing, do you ask them like, okay, what is your, you know, what is it that you guys want to do next session? And then you prep kind of that piece or how do you do the prep for this? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Uh, so in the game that I'm talking about, we're actually in the middle of a dungeon. So they, you know, they do have, they have one spot that they're kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say stuck in, they could always turn around and go about. Uh, but I have, I have been leaving questions up afterwards and like, where do you, where do we think we're going? Where do you see this going? And making sure that we still want to progress through this place uh, so that I, otherwise, if they want to leave, I need to, I need to get that other um, location set up and I need to, I need to plan for it. So just the minimum, I just kind of ask them, okay, what do you think about where we're going right now? And, you know, do you see yourselves continuing this particular leg of the journey next time or something very different? And so far, they, they want to continue where they are right now. They want to keep looking for uh, their particular goal. I think they're trying to save a, save a kidnapped girl. And that's their goal right now. Is this game in person or online? Oh, a good question. All online. So uh, there's only one game that I'm running in person. And that is that was a big step for me because everything that I've done in D&D has all been online with people everywhere. <laughs> I have, uh, you know, my one of my games, I have someone in the Philippines. I have someone in reno i have someone in georgia you know the, the the they're all over the map uh and then in one of the other games i played uh there was someone in england there was someone in also in the philippines and someone in italy so it's been this kind of global and get to know you uh which has been awesome but my in-person games i wasn't really comfortable bringing that to my friend group uh right away and it took me a while and we're finally doing one uh, more in person, and but the problem with that one, and I'm sure many people out there can identify with this, is just getting people, um, getting schedules figured out. You know, it's just so hard to get a routine going, especially with kids. So I've had a much harder time keeping that one consistent. That one seems like it's every two months, three months now that we get a little bit of time to to do anything online. Definitely. It doesn't solve the scheduling problem, but it's definitely like the lowest barrier to entry because if you're available, you can just go to your computer. You don't have to drive or commute or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just not realistic for me to take off, you know, five or six hours with kids uh, to to get something like that done to go, you know, to go hang out with my friends or at least it's not something that I'm going to be able to convince my wife that uh, is necessary <laughs> anytime soon, unless I get her to play, which I don't see that happening uh, anytime soon. But that was big. You know, I do run a little smaller. I run smaller games just with my, my sons. Uh, but that's those are kind of just like one shot ideas I have. And I ask them to kind of help me out with some things. And they uh, they my young or not my youngest, but my 12 year old is probably the one that's the most into that. Um, and I think the others just kind of humor me. I don't know if it's their favorite hobby. Um, maybe I'll convince them uh, eventually. <laughs> maybe I'll bring them in. 
Uh, but they're definitely at that point where, you know, it's a role-playing game. I, I don't know. I don't know if this is for me, Dad. <laughs> you got to set them up with Skyrim so that they can burn a couple hours and then get hooked on it and then come back. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, that's the other thing about uh, this hobby is that, you know, there's so much, not ju- you know, not just the lore of D&D, but there's so many stories out there. There's so many games uh, that I feel like I'm not, you know, I don't have that in my RAM. I don't have that in my memory. I didn't play a ton of games, you know, and the games I did play were primarily, you know, like fighting games or sports games, you know, so I'm coming, I'm coming to the hobby and now I'm trying to, I, sometimes I feel like I have to catch up. Like, oh, I better go read all of the, uh, uh, the Salvatore books. You know, I better go read, you know, every, every wiki on the Forgotten Realms that I can. Um, but it's good also to remember, I think it's, it's helpful for DMs to remember that it's, you don't have to do that. You know, you have to, you have to make the game your own. And if you are the kind that are the, the person that has all that lore in the back of your mind, awesome. But, uh, but if not, then you can make it up or you can ask your players to help build the world out, uh, which I've had a lot of fun trying to do recently. Yeah, sometimes coming into the the hobby with little exposure to, uh, with like D&D, like fantasy, um, can give for some surprising twists because my wife ran a couple of um, effectively one-shots for us a while ago, and she has, you know, very little video game knowledge or history and little fantasy history and so some of the stuff that she was coming up with was very unique and different to me because i know all of the tropes and and stuff that i'm familiar with so um it was kind of fun to see a different perspective from somebody who is more or less outside of the hobby sometimes i hear conversations i've I've heard some conversations on your podcast actually where uh, where someone will ask you, well, you know about this, you know about this character, you know about this god, you know about this, you know, cult. And uh, most of the time when someone says something like that, I'm, like, I'm no, no, I don't <laughs> I have no idea. Um, and I've had a couple players kind of apologize to me, like, I'm sorry, I don't know a bunch about the Forgotten Realms, or I don't know much about the Feywild. Oh, good. Well, neither do I. So, <laughs> so let's figure it out together. Uh, and let's let's say that the Feywild in this game is exactly the way we build it out right now. You know what what we what we say about it, what we imagine it is. Uh, and there might be some purists out there that that absolutely hate that idea, but uh, I think it's liberating to not think that you have to play by play by a script. I think that having information can be a helpful starting off point. Um, I also don't have a ton of like D and D specific lore knowledge uh like from like previous books or previous editions like other people do um so yeah i'm kind of in that same boat of i have a you know lord of the rings is my fantasy uh backdrop and then everything else is just kind of the cursory stuff that i've i've looked at since i started playing D. good background to have i told you that i wanted to talk about this kind of uh, block i have in the creative process and just getting into games that are creative like this, uh, just kind of doubting or, you know, that, that fear that you face that it's either not going to be the game that you think it's supposed to be, uh, or, um, you're not going to be good enough to run the game. And that's something that I carry with me in a, in a lot of aspects of my life. 
But I think that being a DM, you can really get hit with this this idea of perfectionism uh, where you have all these, let's say you're writing a story, for example. Uh, I do try to dabble in fiction. Uh, I have uh, this idea that I'm going to write several stories, especially children's stories. But whenever I go about doing it, um, I always, you have the, the ideas in your mind and they're going to be brilliant. They're going to be these awesome stories. And then you start to write them down and you're faced with the fact that they're not the sparkling ideas you had in your mind. They're this, crea- this creation on the page that now you need to work through. You need to, you, know, you need to revise, you need to get somebody else to read. And there's this process. And I think with the times that I've been dungeon mastering, it's the same kind of thing. I have these wonderful ideas about how the game's going to work. And then you sit down and you realize, okay, wait a minute. Now I, I don't think I have this ready. Oh, I didn't, I didn't tell them that. And you're kind of faced with the idea that, oh, this isn't perfect. It's not what I, it's not that ideal that I wanted. And I don't know. I mean, how do you, how have you dealt with that when the game doesn't kind of meet your expectations or you don't meet your own expectations uh, as a dungeon master? Oh, I get asked the question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's tricky because I definitely feel that in, because um, I want to publish, you know, either my own game or supplements or something. Uh, and I always am like, here's a, here's an idea. And then, like you said, I, I have the idea and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to come up with, you know, a handful of creatures or something. And then I sit down and then I just writer's block, just nothing. Um, so in, in running a game, I think what typically happens is I, uh, when that has happened to me, um, I think that I am prepared enough. Uh, and then in the middle of the session, I'm like, oh, I did not think about this entire, you know, piece of, of how this session was going to happen. And I don't have things prepared. So now I'm just trying to wing it and like write stuff down, you know, homebrew on the fly because I didn't prep a monster or something. And, and then typically it's kind of an after the, after the fact, looking back to say, okay, I realized that there were, you know, last time I was going to, I thought I had everything prepped and I missed a couple of things here. So next time I'm going to make sure that I do that. Or sometimes the sessions go off without a hitch and the players don't, uh, don't really notice it. Um, which is good. I've had other sessions where uh, after the fact, the players are like, oh, that was kind of uh, not necessarily disappointing, but like it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of like uh, substance there. And because yes, there, there was not a lot of substance because I forgot to prep something, you know, or I thought I had enough information and it was not enough. So um, it's just kind of learning experiences each time. Yeah. And that's just one aspect that, you know, you're just talking about the prep and, you know, getting those, you know, if especially in an online game, just getting those pages filled, just getting the monsters ready so you can drop them in. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse. I, I've been using Shard Tabletop and there's nothing worse than when you get to the page and for whatever reason, maybe you saved that map on another game or I'm not sure why it happens, but sometimes all of a sudden the monsters will just be gone or they are or their hit points. Are gone. So they'll show up as dead icons. And like, why, why, why is this happening right now? But I mean, that's just one prong of it you know there's also the just you know how you present the game how you describe things and there's there's so many it's a juggling act and there's so many skills that i'd like to grow and and do and become better at 
And then you watch these content creators or you watch some of these all-star DMs and you think, oh my God, how am I ever going to do that? But I think that's one of the keys that I wanted to mention is that I'm learning to remind myself that you you can't. All you can be is as prepared as you can be and all you can bring to the table are your, the skills you do have. So if you think you're going to be Brennan Lee Mulligan, you better practice some improv for a couple of years and not just expect it to happen that day. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I've seen other videos online too that say like, don't, I mean, it's easy to see like Critical Role and uh, Dimension 20. And when you have professional actors uh, that make it seem flawless, um, it's like, man, why can't I, you know, stand up to the, those standards, you know, but uh, I, I don't act for a living. So um, I have much less experience than they do. Uh, and it's, uh, I think uh, there is a skill in any, in any profession. Um, if somebody makes something look super easy, it means that they're probably really good at it <laughs> because most yeah. things are not, are not actually super easy to do. That's right. And how many hours have they put in? How much experience do they have? How much practice? And that's the that's the thing I have to remind myself. You know, oh, I'm not, I'm not where ex- I'm not exactly where I want to be as a dungeon master, or I'm not running this game exactly how I envision that I'm capable of. Well, how much how much practice have I actually had? You know, you you can't expect to you know reach that goal in a couple sessions or even in a couple games. It's going to take a lot longer than that. Um, but just being, learning to be kind of learning to be okay with something that's not a perfect product. You know, you're, you're, I have to realize that my games are not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. My NPCs are sometimes going to be inconsistent. You know, the, the story, the, the prologue that I set up at the beginning of the campaign might not make sense in the, in, at one point in the game. And that's, or at one point, uh, three or four sessions down the line, that's okay. We can. We can course correct from there. I think and not hang our heads in shame. <laughs> yeah, I think being okay with things that aren't perfect. Um, I uh, I think I started out as a perfectionist and wanting everything to be right. And uh, now that I know that I tend to start more projects than I can handle, I tend to think that done is better than perfect. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that that is so. There's so much truth in that. You know, because you can have all the perfect ideas you want, but if you don't finish any of them, then you're just going to feel, you know, completely unsatisfied. You had all these goals and you're still, still, still preparing for the perfect, uh, the perfect versions of them that are never going to come to fruition. Um, I actually just watched a video by uh, Matt Colville and he did kind of like a lessons learned from one of the campaigns that he had run. Um, and that was really interesting because as he was going through it, he, he realized that there was a lot of cool ideas that he, you know, at the time of running the campaign, didn't lean into them quite the right way. Um, and he's somebody that I would typically think of as being a pretty strong, you know, dungeon master. Um, so just to see like, even, even these people who are really good still have things that they're finding like, oh, you know, should have done this differently and, and this could have been handled better, but. Um, you know, and that's those are the things that you learn from the game, and then you roll that into the next one. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and on the topic of Matt Colville and content creators and things like that, I I think that sometimes, you know, here I am. I'm doing an interview now. I'm a you know I'm a, a new DM, and I'm on 
your podcast, you know, as answering questions and thinking about these ideas. But part of me wants to be this master at explaining what uh, D&D is, kind of like Matt Colville, and having these beautiful video essays, uh, or not, not video essays, but at least the kind of explanation for how the game works, uh, like him, because I keep consuming all that content and so then i think oh this is this is who i should be or this is what i should be like when when D D is the uh, the hat we're wearing and it's like no <laughs> that's one thing that matt colville does really really well and in one of his videos he even talks about that you know it may look easy what he's doing when he's presenting those, these kinds of ideas in a unified coherent fashion but it's not it, t- it takes a lot of work uh and so we can't just turn around and expect to be able to do the same. And that goes for creating YouTube videos, for creating uh, a new, but also for creating an adventure or creating a module. You know, we're, we're, we're not going to be, uh, or I'm not going to be, at least that's what I have to remind myself. I'm not going to be as good as some of these people that have done this for years and years and years since they were kids. Yeah. It's, it's funny how many people have started when they were, you know, teenagers and have played, for many years, and then it, it, it's just crazy how many how much time people have into the hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. It's easy to forget. Uh, it's easy to forget how much experience people have sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was terrified of it. I grew up Catholic, and uh, my mom definitely believed in the satanic panic. And to me, it was it was everything evil about the world. <laughs> so that's my background and then coming you know full circle and saying all right this actually sounds like a ton of fun yeah i um i also grew up catholic uh but i didn't have any idea that it even existed until like college so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 awesome that it is blown up and i think that it's you know blown up in a manner of speaking you know i don't know i don't know exactly what the numbers are but it seems far more popular than it's ever been uh and I think obviously the pandemic and everyone being stuck in on their computers for at least that year, year and a half is a big part of it. Uh, but I also think that it's it's just that that kind of culture, because of things like Stranger Things and um, you know other you know kind of just pop culture, is just more acceptable now. Like it's you know it's not um, I don't know the rise of nerd culture. <laughs> nerd culture is taking over and it's becoming more mainstream, which. I guess could be a good and a bad thing, you know, in the sense that um, I'm sure there's some purists out there that feel like, okay, you know, if, if you want to get into this, this game, if you want to get into this hobby, you do need to learn the lore. You know, you do need to learn more about the way it works and not just jump in and call it good. Yeah. I think with just about any uh, fandom, I guess there's going to be people who have been with it from the beginning who have specific ideas of what, is is acceptable and isn't and and really if you're enjoying it in any form then that's the important thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that your dm style you need to figure out what it is that you want out of the game right yeah. i mean we need to figure out what do you want the game to be and then that yeah and then con- cl- learn to clearly communicate that to your players like this is the kind of game i want to run but you have to run some games and figure that out yeah i think that also goes for uh finding players too and players finding dms um trying uh being in games with different dms and figuring out which dms uh, style really matches yours because a certain thing for uh one set of players and dm is not going to be what you want to 
play in and it might be you know there might be another dm that fits much closer to how you think that a game should be run or should be played so right. test the waters and uh you you don't know how do i want to say that if you, yeah if you just don't have experience you just don't know what else is out there yet mm-hmm. yeah you won't know if you really like it unless you you know you got to give it a chance got to give it a try um but then there's only so so much time in the day so many, so many games you can join so that becomes a challenge too do you ever feel like that i know that you're supposed to be answering the questions but do you ever, do you ever feel like uh man there are so many different games i would like to try especially now that i'm coming so late to the to the game here uh and there's just no way there's no way to get to all these games i'm probably never going to even read all of the books that i own let alone <laughs> play in any of them um yep. yeah especially like with the podcast too uh i would like to be running more frequent games and stuff with uh people that are just you know in the server in the community um and even just scheduling like one shots and stuff just is a pain in the butt and trying yeah. to get trying to get podcast episodes and interviews and stuff done and edited and then try to play a game and then uh yeah like you mentioned hey you have kids that your uh, your time runs pretty thin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's the the biggest obstacle is just you know obviously that's like you, the barrier to entry, like you said, uh, is getting everyone. That's why I'm so thankful for. I'm learning to be more thankful for those games that we do uh, get in because you can't take it for granted. I mean, I know that kind of sounds like we're that, that sounds a little too. Uh, maybe too sentimental but yeah it's it's true it's like it was kind of a minor miracle that we were we were able to spend two or three hours doing that sometimes because it is so hard to find the time to squeeze things in Uh, if i could go back in my childhood and play in like six to eight hour D &D sessions you know weekly that that would have been a cool experience that i would choose to add to my childhood (laughs) 100 percent definitely not the reality right now yeah no yeah i mean i'm i'm so jealous so envious of those individuals that have those stories oh yeah when when we started playing we didn't really know what we were playing and we didn't really know what we were doing we were kind of making it up as we went but we would just sit around for six to eight hours and tell a story together like oh that sounds like a ton ton (laughs) of fun What was I doing? Oh, I was I was throwing a baseball around, or I was probably playing some sports game where I was just trying to build stats the entire time for the by playing the same game over and over again. No story. Is there anything else that you want to talk about specific to the interview, or do you want to jump into the lightning round? I did have a thought actually before the lightning round. I was going to uh, kind of mention one other thing I I had been thinking about. And that was that idea that I was talking about earlier, you know, kind of bridging this between my friend groups. So I think we all, well, I can't speak for everyone, but many of us compartmentalize different parts, different friend groups and things like that. Uh, and one of the most exciting things for me that happened with D&D was when I took the game to that one particular friend group that I thought there's never going to be a time where they're going to accept this. They're never going to be okay with a role-playing game like this group of people right here they're absolutely not it's not going to happen and i kept kind of just mentioning it you know i was telling them about what i was doing why i was interested in it 
And then finally one day I thought, I honestly thought they were joking. I thought they were, maybe they were setting me up. It was a prank, but they said, Hey, why don't you bring some stuff over and help us create some characters and we'll see what happens. And man, that was, that was a blast. That was such a, such a good time. And even though it is hard to get games consistently and all those things, if I hadn't just taken the chance to try to try to present that to that particular friend group, I never would have known if that was something they would, they would have liked or not. So you should take a risk and, uh, and try to play with everybody that you can, because you never know who's going to like it. You never know who's going to, to actually get into it. And I was surprised and, and pleasantly surprised and, it's been a blast. So that is some good advice. Um, I have a handful of high school friends that are that live semi near me, within like a half an hour, and I have not. I don't even know if they know that I play or anything or, or have a podcast or anything. So that's probably one of those things that I should bite the bullet and mention it. But just yeah. this has not come up yet. So and then I want to know, and then I want to hear that you're uh, like. Uh, like Hanger and Fernell, I want you to be at a tavern or a bar in the upper loft with these high school buddies running a game. That that needs to happen. <laughs> need with or find, without the beer. Yeah, need to find a uh, a tavern nearby that I can go to. <laughs> uh, it, in my mind, when he tells the stories about his games, it's definitely a tavern. It's not just your your local Philly bar. It's a tavern. Yeah, I would imagine with him, it would it would have to be. <laughs> he's a blast to listen to and to talk to absolutely cool with that do you want to jump into the lightning round sure we'll give this a we'll shot since this is the this is my first attempt our first attempt um okay. so i have a i have a table that i ripped pretty much directly from a supplement actually for dungeon world called uh perilous wilds Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have a discovery table. Actually, you can Google it and find pretty much just the straight table if you want to. Um, so the thought here is we'll roll some dice and we'll generate you know, some random discovery. And then we'll just try to kind of build it out uh, improv style and, and see what we can okay. come up with. Cool, cool. Sounds good. You have a set of dice handy? I do. Uh, I couldn't. Uh, so somehow my uh, some of my phys- physical dice have been misplaced, and by misplaced I mean my my wife has decided they did not belong where I had put them. So uh, yeah, I have some virtual dice though. Why don't you roll a d12? Okay, you got a seven. Seven. Seven is a creature. Roll a another d12. You got a four this time. So this is a, a type of beast. And okay. I think roll roll two uh three more D D twelves. I think they're all D twelves. Right, so three D twelves. I got a uh do you want the total or do you want the individual? Uh give me the individual just one at a time. Seven, twelve, and two. Earthbound and it is there's a type of mammoth or dinosaur. Ooh. And then there was an activity this chart is not quite as interactive as I thought it was going to be. So we're, we're maybe kind of designing a uh, uh, encounter maybe around this creature. Okay, so mm-hmm. what was your last D12? Was a two? So it is it is fighting or at war. Uh, okay. Then why don't you give me one more D12? All right. 
And my last roll is a one. And it is slick and slick or slimy. Ooh. So we have some type of like prehistoric uh, creature that is fighting, and it is slick or slimy or covered in slime or uh, something of that nature. Well, until you said slimy, I was thinking of uh, woolly mammoths and saber tooths and you know just something like that. But as soon as you said slimy, I had this giant worm in mind. You know, something like um, you know out of Dune or tremors so that's that's what i'm imagining now um and what i've done in in some of the games recently that i've uh, that i've been playing in the beasts i always feel like uh so you said this one's at war does that mean that it's it's at war necessarily with players or it's it's just kind of a conflict no it's just just an activity just says fighting or at war so what i like to do in these kinds of situations then since it's a beast I don't automatically assume that it's now this is an encounter where it's attacking the players. Maybe it is, and maybe we'll roll to see if that's the case. But I mean, if it's at war, maybe this is a territorial war where you've got two of these worms kind of grappling uh, and the players just happen to encounter this and come up upon this scene. And it could be dangerous because these things are huge and they're, they're um, going in and out underneath the ground. They're, rearing up and and facing off each other maybe they're displacing some earth so there's this danger of falling into a cavern um but the players don't have to interact with these worms directly at all they can they can run <laughs> they can turn in this scenario uh but i like to see and and what i've done a couple times in fact i did that in a game with you directly uh where i asked you well, what do you think about this particular uh, animal or beast you know what is it like in this in this part of the world uh, because that goes back to i don't necessarily know all the answers to the creatures the monsters the monster manual how they apply in the forgotten realms or wherever we are so let's find out and maybe the player has a way better idea than i would or maybe the players can kind of create the idea together uh, and now now we get a better idea of what this part of the world looks like but it was created by all of us together rather than me saying, okay, this is my idea and this is what the world is like. I'm the all-powerful narrator. You just have to, you're just a player in the game. I like where you took this. Um, I'm going to add a couple of things. If if I were to make this an encounter, uh, I like that you have it so that the players don't necessarily have to engage with uh, the creatures. Um, but makes uh, it makes me think, though, that this is probably an obstacle that the party is trying to get somewhere, and mm-hmm. they're like right in their path is this massive, you know, territorial fight display going on, which is making, like you said, the terrain is difficult. Um, you're going to have to navigate it in the midst of a, you know, this big battle. The creatures might not even notice that the players are there. Uh, but they could be just, you know, collateral damage if they're not careful. Um, and so then their option is, do we, you know, try to go around this, uh, you know, this display? Or is this, um, or is it even feasible to go around, right? Is it, there's right. just this, like, wasteland area, and this is the, you know, the worm territory, and they just pop up and fight all over the place, and it, it would take, you know, months to go around. Uh, and now, mm-hmm. now the players have to go through. Um, I think it would be a good chance for players to use some of their non-combat and more like 
exploration or, or uh, maneuverability type skills. Yep. Yeah, and, and almost setting up, it would be a good chance to set up kind of like a modified skill challenge. You know, how are how can you get around this or how can you deal with this encounter other than shooting at it, you know, because or other than, you know, uh, hacking at it, you know, hack and slash. Hack and slash has its, has its moments. I mean, obviously, that's a big part of the game. Uh, no doubt, but I, I like when I like when players have to don't they don't only have that as their recourse. You know, there's there's some choices that they have to make that don't just have to deal with. Do I attack or do I not? <laughs> there should be some other choices being made. And depending on you know kind of what level your players are and, and maybe what system you're playing, you could even rule it that whatever these creatures are, that they're just so large that you can't feasibly damage them with, you know, combat spells or, mm-hmm. or weapons or something, right? Like any any attempts to, to hurt them just kind of are deflected off from their scales or their slime is anti-magic or something in a way that just forces them to engage with the challenge in a non-combat way. Yeah, and that brings up something else that I've struggled with. Uh, is that I think I've, I'm learning that I'm a slave to visuals, and um, I'll I'll put a map up, I'll put a battle map online, and I'll be staring at the battle map, and suddenly I'm stuck in two dimensions, and I forget about depth, I forget about height, I forget about all the things that are going on, and I, I'm having trouble imagining them. And this this little encounter that you rolled for right now, or that we rolled for right now, it's a really interesting way to create um interactive terrain or you know kind of uh you know three-dimensional space uh or at least interesting terrain instead of that flat map you know because i don't know if that happens to you or or if that happens to just everybody but i i I look at that flat battle map and i i have a hard time okay sometimes sometimes i just feel like i should run the game and close my eyes okay i have an idea what the map looks like stop looking at it and think about what this space is actually like and having something moving on it, uh, like these creatures or like these beasts, that would be far more interesting than saying, you know, oh, there's uh, there's a big rock slide in front of you. And now you have difficult terrain. You're going to move at half half your speed. Yeah, I think doing some type of a a skill challenge or something for this would be good. I I think that with how kind of large we've described this scene as, it uh, any type of map might not be really sufficient or a good way to to represent what's going on um Mm -hmm. i I definitely have that uh yeah i don't know blindness when you have a battle map on and and sometimes i think i i lean into the battle maps maybe more as a crutch uh to or as an excuse to not um have to come up with other things on the fly right like if i can contain my players to you know the, what the map is for now. Then, um, then I'm not going to get so surprised that I don't know what to do. But this could yeah. easily be run theater of the mind, um, and maybe even finding some, you know, images online or just like a a, a landscape that you could put up just to be kind of a visual of something to look at. I think of um, um, like fantasy depictions of like wasteland areas where there's like big huge bones sticking out of the ground or um i yep. also thought of like uh in the lion king 
is it the Scarlands or whatever, where it's just all the like the mammoth graveyard and there's just piles of bones and um, something like that. Yeah. Just, a, just a, a like a landscape shot of that while you're you know kind of doing the skill challenge would be sufficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those absolutely work for me. And I, I, I try to actually bring more of those into my own games now because I remember the first time someone did that for me. They said, "Okay, you wake up in the, you know, the you're walking, you're you're kind of waking up in the inn, and you're entering out into the courtyard, and there's a fountain, uh, and it's just a, a they just shared an image of a cityscape, you know, this old medieval cityscape, and that was it. There was no map." Uh, or no battle map at least and we just had to imagine getting up into the scene and it just helped me as a player drop into that scene much better than the actual and don't get me wrong battle maps are great i mean some of the battle maps that we have access to that people are creating out there are amazing i can't believe you know some of the detail that goes into these maps Uh, but i think if you only at least for a person like me if you only use those battle maps it just everything everything flattens out and it's harder uh, to remember what's going on, whereas in that scenario we're talking about with these with these worms kind of having this territorial battle that has nothing to do with the players, yet they need to get across. Um, it doesn't matter if you go left or right. It doesn't matter if you move ten feet. You know, whatever happens as you cross this this uh, landscape, there's a chance that one of these worms are going to pop out of the ground and you know land on you or you know empty the space underneath you and you're going to fall. Uh, and it doesn't matter where exactly that is. You know, we could decide on a roll whether that happens and, and how you react to it or how, what you do to uh, prevent it from hurting you. This sounds cool. I want to do th- I want to use this. So now I, if I, I know that if I'm playing in another one of your games and all of a sudden <laughs> there's some massive worms, I'll, I'll know what's going on. That's right. <laughs> You're like, uh, I don't think we should attack these. There might be a way around. There might be a way through. Um, and if this was again, depending on how you know large of an area you, you wanted to make this, this could be a uh, a travel hazard. Like if this is you know a few days across, <clears throat> I mean every time you make camp, it, you just you know random encounter roll, and you know if you if you roll the right number, then those worms are you know coming out of the ground again. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there goes your long yep. rest. There goes your rest. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and that's a that's a uh, you know that's a, another thing that is you should challenge the players. I think, and I'm I'm trying to do that in my own games. But uh, that's another balancing act that you have to do as a DM is you know how much how many rests do you get? You know how many rests do you give them before you uh, hit them with another two or three encounters? And I know there's some standard numbers out there that you know people uh, I can't remember exactly the template, but I've I've used a couple of those templates. You should do this many encounters between a long rest and so on and so forth. But you have to, you have to figure that out as you go. Especially when you're doing a campaign uh, and there's like, I mean, when I played in previous campaigns, it was like, okay, big, huge battle, you know, we're, we're resting or every chance we get, we're taking a short rest at least, you know, and as a, our DM at the time, I think, handled it pretty well. He pretty much just let us do whatever we wanted to. But I, sometimes looking back at it, it's like, yeah, he, he probably could have tried to stop us a little bit more frequently from just like trying to full heal every single time something happened. Yeah, and and 
I don't know if it's a better game or worse game. I mean, you'd probably have a better take on that or, uh, than I would. Um, but I do know that in the few times I've been able to be a player, I de- I, I rarely ever felt uh, like my player character was that threatened. You know, there wasn't, uh, maybe I just didn't play long enough, but <laughs> it didn't, didn't seem like I was ever in that bad of a situation, you know? And I don't think it should be like that. I do feel like you should feel like, I don't know if we're going to make it through this. You know, I, I better make some good decisions here or this character is not going to be there anymore. Yeah, there were, I would say, only a few times where it was like, oh, this, you know, this might not actually end in our favor. I might be rolling a new character. Um, but definitely those, even even after you've used a lot of your resources as like a fifth edition character, um your characters are still pretty survivable, mm-hmm. you know, even without missing spell slots and and whatever. Yep, they're 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 pretty tanky. Those five E characters, especially once you get you know five and beyond, they they're pretty hard to take out. Do you want to try doing another uh, another random roll? Yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> so just start off with one one D twelve. Okay. Got a three this time. Three is a natural feature. Uh, okay, natural feature. So I need a two, two more d12s. Got a one and a two. So it's a type of layer. It is a, it is specifically a burrow of mm-hmm. supposedly of some creature. This is, and it just ties into <laughs> the one that we just did, pretty much. Uh, let's give it. Well, and yet I was still, I was thinking of something different. Oh, what were you, what were you starting to think of? I was starting to think of some kind of, you know, four-legged, you know, a wolf or, uh, you know, some kind of, um, I don't know, even a combination, you know, kind of dire beast, something like that. So I, I definitely had uh, wolves, coyotes, those kinds of things in uh, mind this time around. Give me a, can you give me a D, a D20 roll? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's activity. And then a D12. Building slash excavating is the activity. Oh. Okay, so no worms, right? <laughs> I think it worms. <laughs> um, yeah, so, man, and did we say that it it was a, uh, it's a feature, but yet something is there, uh, but we don't know if it, it's necessarily a beast. It no, doesn't have to no, be a beast, right? it just, the, the feature was a burrow, so, you know, presumably there's something there, yeah. but nothing specific. And whatever is there is building or excavating the area. Right. So now, now I'm thinking that it is a burrow of, you know, let's say it looks like probably a wolf den or something of that sort, but yet there's a creature that is excavating or digging out the area. So, uh, you know, the, the player characters can kind of come across this scene where um, maybe they've picked up this, you know, the tracks of these animals. Uh, maybe they uh, are, for, for whatever reason, looking for something that, you know, the wolves might have gotten into. And yet, once they come across the den, once they actually find it, there's another creature that's uh, tidying up the space or digging it out wider so they can get in. I, I think it would be cool to put, kind of flip the script here and, and have something else either beating them to it or have taken over this burrow. And now what do the, what do the players do? You know, is this, is this a kind of uh, an NPC we can go talk to or is this going to be something terrifying that's going to turn around and, and pull us down into this burrow if we get too close. Uh, I think it would be, I think it's nice because there's there's so many times in some of the, these modules, it's like, oh, here we go, goblins again, or 
here we go, wolves again. So maybe it would be nice if they expected wolves, then yet there's some other creature here. Now, what that other creature is, I don't know. Is there a role I can make uh, to give me a hint yeah, about sure. what other uh, creature might so, be? So, uh, 2d12s. Go back to the creature okay. table. I have a okay, so it's 12 a monster. And, and the specific type of monster. Oh, you said a 1? It is. Uh -huh. oh, hold on. That's the beast table. Let me go to the right table. Okay, so you said 12 and a 1. <laughs> so, it is a legendary monster. Uh, it is either a dragon or a colossus. So some mm. very large creature. So I always have a hard time imagining what it would be like to encounter a, you know, kind of like a non-mortal, you know. So I don't know if this could be, I mean, a colossus isn't necessarily a god. Uh, but what if it was some kind of demigod that, you know, now I'm imagining the party has been tracking down some beasts, whatever they are, if they're wolves, if they're owlbears, or uh, whatever they, they might be. And they've got a ranger in the party that's been tracking these footprints. And then they get to the burrow and they actually find where these creatures have been. And they come across, you know, this kind of um, monstrous cyclops or something of that sort, maybe even feasting on some of these animals. And, uh, you know, I think that that would be a nice twist that uh, whatever they were looking for, they're going to get. And maybe they were ready for an encounter with wolves or an owlbear, but they weren't quite ready for this towering godlike figure. Uh, I don't know if it would be, I, I, I'm always hesitant to, I, I don't feel like the, the, my PCs are of a level that if you actually encountered a God or you actually encountered something that was that powerful, um, they should just be dead. <laughs> so I don't think that, I don't think that I, I would want to put something like that in there. Uh, but I don't know. I, it might be cool just to kind of, Again, do a little switch. If you provoke now. it, there's no roles needed. We are starting a new campaign. <laughs> yeah, it's it's over. I mean, you you can get uh you can get new characters, and you could go back to the borough to see what happens. It, it does bones. seem kind of like a out of the frying pan into the fire scenario, right? Where, like you said, they're tracking something that they presumably would be capable of taking on, maybe in somewhat of an even fight, or maybe even have a slight advantage if they, you know, can ambush it properly and then they show up to ambush it and and what is there is much more dangerous than whatever it was that the players were <laughs> hunting or looking for yeah yeah uh and you know going back to it was either a dragon or a colossus you know imagine that it is a dragon i mean typically uh you know in these games i've seen you know in the modules that i've read there's always hints you know about dragons you know there's there's sightings of dragons there's these certain kinds of locations that dragons exist in. Uh, and then to suddenly have a dragon just kind of perched over a burrow, maybe waiting for one of these beasts to come out. Uh, and you walk up and you see that in the clearing, you know, and hopefully the dragon, <laughs> dragon doesn't see you. Uh, but man, that would be, that would be a nice surprise to get the players. You know, what you thought you were going to um, arrive at is now a, uh, well, a young dragon, not a, not a, not an ancient dragon, but still, Dragon enough to do some damage, so it's time to slowly. I, I like the idea of them coming into maybe kind of like a little bit of a clearing, kind of if they're. I'm imagining they're going through like a forested type area, and then they kind of get to the end of a mm -hmm. clearing, and they can see like, hey, the tracks go off in this direction, and you can see like this hole, and then 
they see, you know, like the the neck and head of a dragon kind of like right above the opening. And then as, you know, I'd probably describe it in the opening scene, you see this and, you know, let's say it's an owlbear or whatever. Owlbear, you know, walks out and the dragon just, you know, grabs onto it and starts chewing it up. And then and what do you do? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you stick around and wait for it to, to eat something else or to, to wait for it to fly away or... Uh, do you hide? You don't. You don't want it to notice right. you because it might think your food too. So, yeah, and that would explain why we wouldn't. You know, in this in this scenario that I'm imagining, they've been very good and very successful at tracking uh, back to this burrow. And if they were able to do that, then why didn't they notice these large, you know, prints that were created by this monstrous colossus or whatever it is? Well, if it's a dragon, then that makes sense because the dragon was able to to land where right where it needed to, and they. Wouldn't have necessarily that, seen any um, cracks. This is cool. So this is uh, this is you said again. This is Dungeon World. This is uh, Perilous Perilous Wild. This is a supplement that was written for Dungeon World. Um, the it, there's there's kind of two main parts to the supplement. The first part has to do with a bunch of like specific additional mechanics uh, that the author wrote for Dungeon World and for like NPCs and stuff. Um, I've never really looked mm-hmm. at that a ton. Uh, the tables that he has in here for uh, coming up with stuff on the fly is is what's really good. Um, and like you've seen, it's mostly D12 rolls, and then each roll just gives you more information about uh, about what it is. So, like to run through it, the a, a discovery. So anytime you you know want to have something random. Um, uh, it's an unnatural feature, so something like arcane or um, you know portals or something like that. Natural features, creatures, um, and evidence and structures, um, and then NPCs and stuff are kind of included in that as well. And that things get more specific. Like I said, as you go down, it's if it's a creature, it could be a beast or a human or you know a non-human. Um, and then there's different types of beasts, and even in the beast table, there's um, earthbound, airborne, and water going, you know, and then you, so there's just a ton of, you can kind of drill down as much as you want to, and then you can, if right. you have an idea, you can you can run with it. If you want more information, you can go. There's also, um, there's a 19 different uh, details tables, which, uh, that was the D20 roll, uh, things like, you know, activities, um, alignments, conditions, uh, like magic types. So if you wanted to come up with some, you know, random magical anomaly, you could come up with a type or an element or something. Um, so those are also fun to just throw in. Um, and then there's also a, like, you can make dungeons on the fly as well. And And that's really, like, the tables are really not system specific i mean you wrote it for dungeon world but it's just it's just a random table and there's no mechanics involved in it so you could you know easily pull this into fifth edition or any other you know fantasy game Mm -hmm. well i i i love it i i'm looking at one right now and i i love that it is uh that like you said it could apply to anything and it's so quick uh because I have ideas before, <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> I have ideas before a game, 
you know, this, this place that they're going to, I'm going to describe it in such a way. It has walls like this and it smells like this, but then you're deer in the headlights in the game and you have so many things that you're trying to think through. And even if your notes are right there, sometimes you just don't have the, the time or the wherewithal to, to look at that note again. Um, but if you could just say, okay, hold on. When you asked me what this room looks like, hit a roll button. Uh, oh, well, this room is uh, right here. I'm looking at one that says this is a room of pleasure and relaxation. Uh, and you can describe the statuary in there as, as, as kind of um, giving off that kind of a vibe. You know, so maybe there's some, I don't know, naked bodies on these statuary that is reminding everyone that this is a, a place of pleasure, relaxation, that maybe a, a maybe a maybe a bathhouse of some kind, and which wouldn't which would take seconds instead of, you know. Right. And I, I think one of the things that uh, us just as people tend to be good at is um, kind of contextualizing information, um, you know, because we just rolled on. A, we, we got a bunch of random words, essentially, that we strung together to say, you know, this was a burrow that was getting made bigger and there's something large there. And while those things are all just, you know, random random pieces, we contextualized it to say, oh, it, it makes sense that, you know, this is a dragon, it's maybe trying to eat, you know, and we can kind of build this encounter out with with still relatively few bits of information and and still relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so that you could definitely use this in a game on the fly when you're uh, running something or um, maybe if you wanted to be, be a little bit more prepped to just say, oh, I know they're going to encounter, you know, a couple of creatures here, let me roll and, and I can prepare some official stats and stuff for them, you know, ahead of time, but at least I'll have those ready to go. Right. But the details table, right, right. those different details would be really good and helpful during, you know, on the fly, if you needed to just come up with some random thing that you don't know the answer to, hey, we'll just give it a, a oddity, right? It's fungal, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that because, um, oh man, I'm, I, 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 there's another creator that uh, I'm going to forget the name of, but he talks about that a lot about just giving the room or giving the place that odd feature. Uh, and that's, what's going to stand out to the player. You know, it's a, it's a dark room. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> is there anything, is there anything special about that dark room? Uh, and you know, it, it might be the case that it's, it's a dark room with a, an, a certain kind of noise in it, you know, and maybe it's just a chime. Uh, well, now, now I'm intrigued because that sound doesn't seem to fit. Right. And, and especially if you're rolling this live at the table, your players may do some of the contextualizing out loud for you as well uh, before you have to yep. think about it. Yep. That's one thing that I'm getting more and more comfortable with is, is asking players for that. And, uh, you know, I, I know that you have to be careful that you don't overwhelm your players and, you know, that you can, you have to try to warn them ahead of, ahead of time if you're really going to pour something on them. Um, because it can, same thing can happen to them, right? During the headlights, I don't know. And, um, but there's been times where I've asked and kind of pushed more on that. You know, I don't know, what, what do you see in this uh, particular space? I, I, I haven't, I, I've given you kind of a, a rough outline of what's going on here, but what else does your character see? Or what do they hear? And all of a sudden, there's this new detail thrown in by the character or by the player. I'm sorry, and nowhere I was ever planning on taking it, but here we are. We're we're having this surprising moment again. 
that has texture. And I think that that's the, going back to the flat map, it's, it's easy to just tell them, well, you're in a room and you have these two doors to choose from. And there's these three items, you know, and there's, because we want to give them as much information as we can. But a lot of times it's just those two, maybe, maybe three at the top, at the most uh, odd details that can really make the room interesting or the space interesting. So this oh, is good. cool. I'll I, definitely I, use this. I'm glad I have added a resource to your uh, to your Dungeon Masters toolkit, so to say. Um, and for yeah, everybody yeah. listening, we'll I will include a link to uh, both the online table and the actual PDF, which I believe is on DriveThruRPG. Um, should be able to grab it there. And with that, I think we can probably wrap up the interview. So thank you, Jandy, for coming on and being a guest. Thank you, Brock. Uh, as much as I teased in the beginning that I was trying to put this off, uh, you, you, and I, you and I have talked about the reasons why I couldn't be on before, and uh, it was just it was awesome, uh, even with the disruptions, <laughs> to finally get to talk to you. And uh, I think this this is a this is great great energy to add to my DMing because I do need to talk through some of these things, some of the insecurities, the anxieties I have. I think it helps me be a better dungeon master and helps me have more, more fun with my games, remembering that uh, it's okay if I'm not the perfect dungeon master on That's some exactly Twitch stream, right. right? Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.